0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Critical Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Um, just to clarify, since I've had a couple people actually ask me this over Facebook Messenger and whatnot, uh, I don't really want to be getting questions any other way than through the comments section on these videos or by sending them to me by email if you don't want to show up or have your name show up in the comments section there, then just send me an email at AskChrisShelton at gmail.com. Okay, otherwise I just get inundated with questions from all different sources and it's hard for me to keep up. Okay, so let's go ahead and get on with answering your questions straight away this week. Caitlin Trugian, Hi Chris, I've been following you since day one. My friends think it's really strange that I'm so into Scientology news. I wish I had an outlet or someone to talk about it with. Due to your recent podcast with the Scientology Watcher who hosts the podcast Gum Get Some, journalists like Tony Ortega, and the new Leah Remini Show, I'm realizing it's not that strange that I'm a Scientology Watcher. I live in the San Diego area now, and I'm wondering if people ever meet up to chat about it outside of the internet. Do you know of any resources like that? I've heard of HowdyCon, and i love to go to that if it ends up near me this year or my resources are right to travel to it. Thanks a lot for your thoughtful and articulate responses to everybody's questions. Hey, Caitlin, thanks a lot for your support and for uh, you know watching this channel for so long. And no, I don't think it's odd at all. I think Scientology's um in one way a bit of a train wreck, and people are, are watching it for that reason, or they are fascinated and horrified by the abuses that are exposed about Scientology, and they want to step up and do something about it, which I you know very much support. Um, and also another thing that doesn't get talked about enough in regards to Scientology watching is how I hope in what I talk about with it, and I think a lot of other critics feel the same, that the lessons that can be learned from the abuses of Scientology and the life that I and other people have led coming up in Scientology and escaping from it and and learning about it and talking about it and its techniques and its methods, I I think one of the things that we need to be talking about with that is how all of that applies to other areas of life, other social groups, other Cult groups, other groups that that are starting to be cult-like. Um, you know, this is uh, one of the reasons that I get into talking about other things uh, than just Scientology on this channel. And while some people might not appreciate it because it rubs them the wrong way in terms of their own personal beliefs, my effort is to try to uh, bring the lessons that I learned from from Scientology into every area of life, where there could be. Uh, the potential of extremist ideas or ideas that could possibly cause, you know, ill consequences or bad effects on people personally or to those around them if they were to, you know, go down that rabbit hole. And I'm not trying to be cryptic here. I'm just saying that there are there, the destructive cult mentality that I talk about here in regards to Scientology applies to lots of different areas. Said this a lot, but I'll just kind of keep putting it out there because I think people need to know that, you know, that that part of uh, the the interest and the lessons and the and the education you can get from Scientology can be applied to other areas of your life. And I hope people are are paying attention to it that way. All right. Now, as far as answering your question about get-togethers and stuff, there's actually lots of them that happen. Um, amongst friends a lot, you know, if you're on uh, Facebook and you get involved with, uh, you know, friending people and, and getting to know people who are ex-Scientologists, you'll find that they get together sometimes for social activities. Uh, and there are other conventions and meetups and groups that happen. But as far as, um, you know, one thing I think you might want to try in the San Diego area is, uh, is use meetup.com. And see if, uh, you know, there might be some uh, Leah Remini watching party or something, right? Or, or, you know, I don't know, something like that uh, that, that you could do or, or have a Going Clear meetup or something, you know, or or My Scientology movie or something like that. And you'll find other people who are interested in the topic and might want to meet on a regular, semi-regular basis or whatever, or maybe just a one-off in order to discuss different ideas and, and things about the the topic of Scientology or destructive cults or the mind control that that goes on in these groups or you know that kind of thing. So that would be that's what I would do if I were. I, I'm not suffering from any lack of places to go or people to see to talk about Scientology. But if I were you know in your place, Caitlin, I might consider using Meetup.com or Craigslist or you know whatever is used to get people together in social settings and and uh, discussing things, right? And I know that there's a lot of get-togethers also up in the LA area especially, um, and the thing that you would have to do as somebody who, you know, I wouldn't encourage a lot of people to do this because it can get a little bit crazy, but um, but if you're really into this and you really want to meet with people who have been involved with it or other people who are watching what's going on with Scientology, then, um, then friend... You know, people who are former Scientologists get to know them uh, online, right? Um, You know, because you'd have to be in a position of trust in order to be invited to, you know, real social get-togethers amongst exes because, of course, there's always the concern with us that, that there are, shall we say, unsavory elements who would like to disrupt our lives and make things difficult for us merely because we have chosen to make ourselves public about our know, lack of membership in Scientology anymore. So I think that's fairly understandable. But, it's, uh, but I've met lots of great people who never had anything to do with Scientology through social media. And I have met up with some of them in real life uh, as a result of that. So that's what I can say about that. Misty Fance. I wonder if you've noticed the anti-Leah Remini and her show Attack Ads on YouTube. I seem to get them when I'm watching videos by ex-Scientologists, as well as with some other videos. I have to admit that I haven't actually watched any of them because I skipped them after five seconds. Is the church responsible for those ads? I noticed one of them involves her dad talking, I assume, about what a bad daughter she was. Is this video taken directly from her hate site? Okay, yeah, I get a lot of comments on my videos about, you know, did I know that there are anti-Scientology ads right before my videos? And of course I know that. Um, And I can't do anything about it. The way uh, Google... So to me, it's not a good or a bad thing. It just is a thing that just, okay, yeah, the sky's blue and I get attack ads before my videos. The reason for it is because... Um, Ad placements are based on uh, the indexing and subject matter and content of our videos and obviously a lot of the content that I produce is about Scientology. When I index all my videos I definitely put Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard and David Miscavige and things like that there because that's the 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 stuff that I'm talking about. Google looks for uh, applicable content to place the ads that Scientology is purchasing on Google uh, in order for them to, you know, outdo or outcreate or outwit Leah Remini's show, right? Which Scientology is absolutely not doing successfully in any way, really. Their their uh, efforts on Twitter are pathetic, and their efforts at these attack ads are pretty pathetic, and only serve to prove what Leah and me and other critics talk about when we say that Scientology is intolerant and. Uh, Very much always on the attack never defend mode Uh, So that's you know, there's nothing I can do about that, but that's when Scientology purchases ad buys on Google which owns YouTube then Google will look for places that are appropriate and applicable to put those ads to try to target people who are interested in or thinking about Scientology. So that's where the ads end up. I'm pretty sure the church is doing it on purpose in order to try to try to thwart my efforts and the efforts of all other critics because the same thing happens on every other YouTube channel. And um, and again, it only serves to, to show you folks that what we say about Scientology is actually true, because who who else does that? I don't I don't know. Maybe other church groups or other religions do that about their with their critics or their. Um, you know, apostates, but uh, I've never seen it. (laughs) When I go to uh, Lloyd Evans' channel or I go to Jonathan Streeter's channel, these are, you know, exes from other religious groups, I don't see attack ads about them or about critics of those groups uh, before I see their videos, right? So um, if they have ads turned on, of course, not everybody is, is doing this the same way. So anyway, that's um, kind of what I can say about that. I just, you know, I don't, I'm not supposed to necessarily as a YouTube creator, I'm not supposed to encourage you to click on those ads or anything like that, but I'm not going to do that. I don't care if you click on them or not. Um, you know, it's not like a, it's not like the ad revenue that I make on this channel is so amazing that I, you know, that I need you guys to do something or not do something in regards to those. Um, I just think it's a tremendous waste of time on the part and money on the part of the church, um, and I get a certain grim satisfaction out of the fact that the money that is that would otherwise be used to you know, uh, pay for lawyers or private investigators to stalk and harass people, is instead some of that's going to me as a result of these ads. So, okay, whatever. You know, I I don't really have anything on it one way or the other. And I kind of wish you guys wouldn't either because it's just kind of, so what? You know, Scientology is, is doing its thing. Of course, it's going to do its thing. It's completely predictable what its thing is. I've laid it out in detail from literally day one on my channel. Uh, if you guys haven't ever watched that old series that I put together on what is wrong with Scientology, which is a, a playlist on, my, on the homepage of my channel, then check it out. One, you'll be amused by uh, what I looked like three, <laughs> three four years ago uh, and the quality of my videos, but the content of those is absolutely still 100% true. Uh, and destruction is in Scientology's DNA, its own self-destruction, and that's what they just keep doing. You know, and that's uh, and these ads are just one one part of that. The I will also mention, just for your people's uh, for everybody's information, that that that's not the only thing Scientology is doing in order to try to thwart Leah's show. There's a lot of underhanded stuff going on too that uh, doesn't generally get out in the open because it's very very covert, a little hard to prove. But is definitely happening, and, and by that I mean, for example, you hear about on um, on Twitter, you know, uh, Jeffrey Augustine has been exposing how the the Stand Take a Stand League uh, has been using you know stock photos of people who don't even exist as profile pictures. Uh, or the stock photos of people who are not Scientologists, I should say, not that they don't exist, but that they're, they're not Scientologists, but the Scientology is presenting them as though they are and using them to uh, try to discredit Leah's show. And they also open up a ton of fake accounts on Twitter and on Facebook, and try to get little whispering rumors going and campaigns anti-Leah campaigns going. And the thing that Scientology is trying to do, and this is an old old tactic out of the OSA playbook, is to get us critics fighting amongst one another or get people who are watching Leah's show fighting with one another over the over some minuscule minutia minor point has nothing to do with the show. In order to distract from the topic and abuse that is being exposed in the show or in these videos or in anybody else's videos, right? So um, you guys really should know that that goes on because uh, some of the divisiveness and the, and the infighting that happens in, in our ex-Scientology community is created, right? It's not just, a, a, you know, two people had a disagreement and, and then they get into it on social media. That does happen. But, um, but some of these disagreements run really hard, really hot, really deep, and I suspect that a lot of that comes from uh, OSA manipulation, right? And I'm not trying to be paranoid here, and I'm certainly not pushing some weird conspiracy theory. It's provable that OSA does do this. Tori uh, Chrisman, Tori Magoo has talked about this at length. Because she actually was hands-on with it before she got out of Scientology. So uh, maybe eventually I'll have to do some, some videos breaking down you know, more about OSA tactics and stuff. But I have talked about that already on this channel in older videos that you can you know, search for. If you look up off Special Affairs or OSA or anything like that, you'll, you'll come up with those videos. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there too. Because it's something that I think all of y'all should be aware of. Dave Shabastari. What does Scientology tell its members about how L. Ron Hubbard came to possess the knowledge that became Scientology and Dianetics? Was he just a super smart guy who figured it out, or somehow had the knowledge magically implanted in his brain, or other? Yeah, there's a few lines on this one. Hubbard was supposed to be naturally brilliant and a genius type of thing and was born with the mission to save mankind and and bring good things to the world. Hubbard himself claimed to at one point to be a reincarnation or a fulfillment of a prophecy of the return of Buddha. Uh, he created a book called "Hymn of Asia," which, um, or "The Song of Asia," which uh, has him asking, "Am I Matea?" which, is, which is playing on a prophecy that Hubbard exaggerated and built up out of out of whole cloth, that he, with the flaming red hair. Was the uh, Western incarnation of Matea, and was going to, you know, unite the East and the West, and and so there's this whole line of thinking that that Hubbard was reincarnated for the purpose of bringing Scientology to the world. Um, then there are people in Scientology like me who, when I was in, who think that Hubbard was just a really smart guy, really good researcher, and really had a really good, should, you know, head on his shoulders, and was the guy who could sift through. Lots and lots of information in in, in psychology and philosophy and and uh, science, right? And chemistry and nuclear physics and and, and atomic physics and this kind of thing. Uh, back when we used to, you know, subscribe to his own version of his biography, which I obviously have come to learn is complete bullshit. But when we when I thought that that was all true, I thought that he had led a life of exploration and a pursuit of. Of philosophic knowledge, and that is what led him to sift through all of man's, you know, history of of knowledge and, and wisdom and, and distill out the good parts and be able to do away with the bad parts. And I thought, uh, also when I was in Scientology, that he was a very, very, very brilliant researcher and that he actually did have case studies and he actually did have you know uh, series of experiments that he had done and just because I didn't see the notes from the experiments or see the case studies doesn't mean they didn't exist right and I would just sort of make up for no good reason really that that all those things existed because they had to exist because otherwise Hubbard couldn't be so brilliant and Scientology couldn't be right and true so that's kind of another way that people in Scientology think about Hubbard um, And yeah, I think that's pretty much where everybody kind of gets the idea of where Hubbard gets his ideas from. Jake. On this week's episode of Leah's show, Jackson, gold-based security chief, stated that after he was forced to sell his wife on having an abortion during a meter check, he had a dirty needle. They briefly state that is something that indicates hidden transgressions. Could you explain this further to this wog? What would an auditor be looking for to come to the conclusion someone's needle was dirty? Yeah, this is easy enough. A dirty needle is a phenomena that occurs on an e-meter where the needle will sit there and do this kind of a ticking, sort of erratic ticking motion, or it's not clean. A clean needle is a smooth, uninterrupted needle movement where the needle's just sort of idling around, it's not really responding or reacting in any way. My finger is sort of the needle on the dial here. It's not, you know, floating where it goes back and forth, you know, rhythmically back and forth. That's a floating needle. Clean needle is just usually a slow rise or a slow fall and there's not really any ticking in it. Dirty needle is when the needle starts ticking around. It looks a little erratic, a little agitated, a little jerky, right? It's got little jerks in it. And those little nicks-nicks those little and tick, ticks and whatnot are supposed to indicate one of three things. Either the auditor's TRs are bad, in other words, he's interrupting the person, or he's speaking out of turn, or he is not paying attention to the pre-clear, the person who's holding the cans, and the pre-clear is noticing this and is getting a little irked or irritated with the auditor, and the needle gets dirty. So that could be one cause is the auditor's TRs are bad. The other cause could be that the auditor is breaking the auditor's code he's invalidating what the preclear is saying or he's telling the preclear what to think about his case or he's in some other way being a distracting oaf in the session and that also would cause a, a dirty needle phenomena. but the third and the most used and the most the go-to reason for from auditors is that the PC, the preclear, has withholds he doesn't want known. And the dirty needle is, a, is this, you know, oh, there's something there. There's some hidden withholds or transgressions that the guy is not talking about, but he's thinking about it. He had some thoughts about it. And because he had those thoughts about it, that needle is dirty. And the only way to clean the needle is to get the guy to tell you what's on his mind. Right? What is it? You're, what are you thinking about, right? And so if a needle goes dirty, the auditor's response will not be, oh, I'm sorry, I broke the auditor's code, or oh, gee, I'm sorry, my TRs were bad. The auditor will never do that. Instead, because the, the another, another point of the auditor's code in Scientology auditing is that the auditor will never apologize for any mistake that he makes in an auditing session, whether real or imagined, right? Because the auditor has to maintain auditor authority and presence. And if he sits there and apologizes to the pre-clear for something that the preclear says he did, then that gives control of the session to the preclear and the auditors lost control of the session. So this is a rule in auditing. I'm not saying that any of this is a good rule. Or that this is how good auditing or good counseling should be done. In fact, these are elements of bad counseling, but it's the rules of, of auditing. So the go-to response, uh, if a needle is dirty, is for the auditor to look up at the pre-clear and say, what's happening? What's on your mind? What are you thinking about? What's that? You know, maybe you get to, maybe in the in the middle of all this erratic motion, there's a little particular tick-tick, let's say. The needle double ticks right and then it kind of moves over here and then it ticks again and then it kind of goes over it ticks again and the auditor would go yeah that what's what's that what's that thought you're having there what are you looking at what are you thinking about oh nothing I was thinking about the birds outside well if the needle's still dirty then there's something more right okay what else are you thinking about and the auditor will try to then maybe ask questions that will solicit the, uh, a, a read or an actual response on the meter that he can follow up on to get whatever the overts, the, the transgressions, the harmful acts that the preclear is not telling him about. So the auditor might look at the dirty needle and go, okay, well, is there some withhold here? Is there something you're not telling me? Have you done something you're, not, you're ashamed of? Have you done something that you're not telling me? Is there something you thought of you think would make me think less of you? Right? There's all kinds of questions he could just fire out to solicit. You know, hey what, what what's what's the needle what's this needle dirty for right what what, what over it have you committed and um, and he can vary that question that 10 20 30 different ways to get a, the needle to read to fall to have a response that he can then chase down uh, with the guy so that's kind of the pr- procedurally that's what happens but it almost always indicates um, that the that the pre is is not telling all right And uh, the proof of this is that when you get the preclear to give up some overt or tell him, tell you whatever it is that's on his mind, the needle stops doing that and smooths out, right? And it'll kind of chill out. So, you know, I don't know. I'll I'll talk much, much, much more in detail about this when I get that meter video done, but I think that's enough to give you the idea of what's going on in the session and what the preclear and the auditor are expecting to have happen when when a dirty needle turns on. Garrison Lee I overheard something you said about our current president as my wife was listening to an interview you were doing with Karen Presley. I was surprised that you threw in a barb about Trump. As regardless of Trump's style and personality, etc., it appears Trump is facing and having to deal with a lot of corruption and, quote, professional politicians from both sides, along with a biased and corrupt media who are no longer journalists. There is a swamp in our country that was supposed to be volunteers who came and served and went back to their respective homes and professions. Minimally, the last four administrations have just followed the direction of the swamp and their lobbyists. At least Trump has, and is exposing these pro-politicians for what they are. People that have made a business out of a sacred trust to the American people and the media are almost the worst of all the swamp creatures. They seem to enjoy stirring the pot of hate and dissension. Like to hear your thoughts. Hey, Garrison. Thanks for asking me my opinion on this. Um, I know this is a very, very contentious subject and I, um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly unapologetic about the fact that I don't like Donald Trump and I wish he hadn't gotten into office as the president. I feel that he degrades and demeans the office by his very presence, by the way he speaks and conducts, his, him, you know, conducts himself, and, um, and certainly I don't agree with his uh, politics for the most part. Uh, that all being said, I absolutely acknowledge everything you said in your question about the nature of business done in Washington. And I do think it's been going on for a real long time. Politics, historically speaking, is something you could talk about for hours in terms of the corruption that, you know, seems to be a natural component of leadership uh, and and power. Having power really is is where the corruption comes in because people get, drunk with it, and they realize that they can hold sway over people's hearts and minds, and they uh, lose sight of whatever purpose they might have had in, in getting into politics in the first place. Now we've come to a situation in America where, and, and pretty much all countries around the world, I don't think America is singled out in this, but uh, we've come to a situation where uh, the system itself is is bigger than any one person who's going to be able to reform it or fix it. It really takes all of us and I think a first step of that is having an awareness of it. You have an awareness of it by you know what you said in your question and you think Donald Trump is the solution to that, whereas I feel that Donald Trump is merely continuing that problem. But I don't disagree. I think we both have common ground on the fact that there is a problem, and a huge one. I've been uh, accused of being too leftist and being pro-Democrat or something, and I think at this point I've made it clear that I'm not. I don't like the DNC any more than I like the GOP. Um, And I don't think that the DNC is doing any kind of good job, and hasn't in decades. Uh, at representing what was, what I used to think was a progressive, liberal, good platform that was you know good for the workers, good for people and and did a lot of good. Um, you know the, the history of it, I mean you can go back, 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 you can go pre-United States, you can go Greece, you can go Rome, I mean you can take it all the way back. Um, I think it's interesting how if you go back to Uh, old Senate records from the Roman Republic, you will see them debate, you know, from what you can find, what's written, you'll find that they were debating the same kind of things in the same kind of way that we are now here in our Senate, right, or in our Congress. Uh, You know, I think groups of people just kind of get together and, and, and kind of maybe like destructive cults, you know, from one destructive cult to the next, you're going to have similarities. You're going to have commonalities. In fact, you find they all operate off of the cult leader's playbook. And I think in politics uh, and in nation building and nation leading, uh, nation governing, you have the same characteristics come up again and again from one government to the next to the next. And corruption is one of those things. I think uh, also that you're right that there are corrupt or or ill-advised uh, activities occurring in the media, um, but I think that this, uh, this fake news moniker that flies around is dangerous because it endangers our uh, First Amendment, and I think that that is um, not a good thing to be throwing around simply because you disagree with something that's written in the media doesn't mean it's fake. Uh, you know, something because, I mean, this this is Scientology tactics, right? Just because I criticize Scientology, I'm fake news as far as they're concerned, right? I'm evil. I'm horrible. I'm a bad person. Well, I'm not. I'm telling the truth about Scientology. Scientology doesn't like that. And therefore, their counter to that is rather than deal with what I'm saying and take it on a rational level of, okay, let's have a conversation about these abuses, let's have a conversation about how Scientology's rules might be causing people to act in a destructive fashion. That is no part of the conversation on the part of the church of Scientology. Well, when a news story comes out that is critical of the President, Congress, you know, whatever, and their response is to attack the person who's saying what they're saying rather than the substance of what they're saying. You immediately should realize that that attack on that individual is one not justified, and two uh, is a is a, a distraction. It's not it's not a it's not a response. It's not a logical response to that news story. And we as our as citizens need to be aware of these nuances and these distinctions because if we are not then we're the ones who lose because then we become part of the problem of us versus them, of black and white thinking where, you know, Trump is all good or Trump is all bad. Well, Trump is neither one. No no politician is all good or all bad. There's almost any politician you can find uh, will have points you can agree with and points you disagree with and you have to kind of weigh the whole picture as to whether you're going to support this person or they don't agree with you so much that you can't support that person but it becomes so personal so fast and um, and the attacks and the, and the rhetoric about it becomes so ridiculous really that it's almost impossible to have a rational conversation on the subject at all and uh, which is why I've kinda way backed off from from talking about politics at all but there's one last thing I need to make one one last point I'd like to make on this and that is you know it's been asked if you were in Germany pre World War II what would you do right how would you act what would you say what would you do right if you if you had some idea of what was coming what would you say and what would you do as an individual citizen you really don't have a whole lot of power you have a voice and you have the ability to reach people with that voice and maybe people will listen to you and maybe they won't but for your own integrity and your own honesty and for and for your own self-worth it's important that you speak your mind right and that's what i do with this channel and whether people like me doing that or not or whether people think that what i'm saying is true or not i would at least ask that they, you know, not get on me about at least expressing my opinion about things because I feel that the things that I express my opinion about are fairly well considered and I try to take my time to think through what I'm talking about and why I'm saying the things that I'm saying. And with my own background in Scientology and having studied destructive cults and the characteristics of destructive cults, when I see that behavior mimicked in a political arena and I comment on it, I'm I'm actually trying to help. I'm trying to put something out there that maybe somebody could consider and go, "Oh, he's got an interesting point about that. Maybe some of these people are acting like cult followers." And this is true for Trump, this is true for Hillary, this is true for Bernie, this is true for any politician. I'm pretty sure if I looked hard enough, I could find people who follow Ted Cruz like little cult members. So, it's not like I'm singling somebody out for this. It just so happens that you know, the office of the president's a fairly important one and a fairly powerful one. And it concerns me when I see cult behavior being demonstrated amongst followers of people who are following Trump. So I say something about it. And I, you know, I know I'm not going to get, you know, a whole ton of agreement on that by everybody. Um, But I am saying those things because, again, what do you do when you are looking at an uncertain future and maybe you have a voice that you could influence people's you know hearts and minds, do you stay quiet or do you say something? It's been a struggle for me, but I've I've chosen to say something and really I tone it down quite a bit compared to how much I could say and sometimes how much I feel like I should say. So that's uh that's my answer on that. But I hope you get that I actually agree with a lot of what you were saying in your question. And, um, and, I, and I agree that we have a real mess in Washington that we have to deal with. And that these elements, the, the media and the corrupt politicians and the lobbyists, this is a long-term situation that, that no one of us is going to solve. But maybe if we get together with enough, enough uh, sense and rationality, we can all tackle it and make it better. So, there you go. It is time for Flash Answers. Mark Lacasa 1 A lot of Scientologists come from all over the world to work in the Sea Org in America. What happens to their passport once they get in the US? Is it kept from them by Scientology as a way to prevent them from leaving if they want to go home? I can't say for sure whether 100% of the passports from foreign uh, Scientologists are confiscated uh, when people join the Sea Org, but I can say that they are confiscated when you go to the free winds. That I know for sure, and I don't think that's really uh, something they're supposed to be doing, but I'm not 100% on whether you know that's called for or not. I don't, I've never been on a cruise, so I don't know if when you go on a cruise they take your passport, but I somehow think that they don't. Um, and I think that if there was, uh, whether it's policy or not to always take people's passports, what I will say is in Scientology and in the Sea Org, uh, specifically, I mean, um, if you are at all considered a, a threat of a blow or a security threat of any kind, they will absolutely take your passport in order to keep you from taking off. and uh, and they will and they will expect you to comply with their orders on that. Silence. Do the senior members encourage staff members to marry other Scientologists? In a word, yes. Scientology is very closed-minded in a closed, exclusionary kind of a group, like all destructive cults, and they absolutely want you to only marry within the group. Not all public Scientologists do that. Sometimes public Scientologists will get involved and their spouse won't, and they'll be doing Scientology and moving up the bridge, and their spouse has no interest in it whatsoever. It's rare, but it does happen. Um, in the Sea Org, you have no choice but to marry another Sea Org member. There is no such thing as marrying outside of the Sea Org. That would just be uh, just wholly uh, forbidden. Jeffrey Linehan. How literally are the Xenu stories at all taken by average Scientologists? Would you expect a member to likely take them as metaphoric? Strictly speaking, everything Hubbard said as far as what things that have occurred on the whole track or in the back history of this planet and universe are all expected to be taken literally. Hubbard wasn't speaking metaphorically in his lectures and books when he talked about stuff that happened back in the day. However, I know some Scientologists have taken the Xenu story or other elements of Scientology and they have looked at them as metaphor, but I think that is the exception more than the rule, or at least it's supposed to be. But I've never really done a broad survey of all the people that I know who have, you know, done the OT levels and what their response to it was, so I couldn't say for sure one way or the other how, what the percentages are. But from my own experience when I was in Scientology, um, it was expected that you believed what Hubbard said and that you believed it as the literal truth. So that's how I have always looked at, uh, looked at it when I looked at how people, you know, understood what Hubbard was saying. Okay, and that is our show for this week, folks. Uh, Thank you very much for coming around. I hope that um, you've watched the whole show, gotten something out of it, found it informative, educational, and uh, entertaining. Uh, If you do like this channel and like what I'm doing, consider following me on Patreon, joining me up on there, because you guys are the ones who keep this channel going. And I really can't appreciate you guys enough uh, for the support that you give to me and to what I'm doing here. All right, I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.